This is the Power to Podcast, show 108. Just that idea of, of long-term lesson planning. You know, you don't have to have every single detail figured out for every single lesson for a unit, but you have to know where your unit's going to end up and you have to work backwards that way. So... Welcome to a real world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. What's going on, everyone? This is Kennerman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. Matt. Call me an Uber Rogers. Matt, how are we doing tonight? Well, I made it home, so you know we're doing okay. <laughs> I won't go into any detail about that nickname. All I can say is we are excited <clears throat> that our birds, Philadelphia Eagles, are going to the Super Bowl. Yes, someone sir. may have missed their train on the way home from the game. And had to, and that someone lives extremely far away from where. Gosh, place. yes, it was not great. But the rest of the day was fantastic. It is not going to turn the vibes down. And neither did this podcast interview. It was fantastic. Absolutely, it was a fantastic podcast. And I was just looking, and I'm pretty sure this podcast is going to come out right after the Super Bowl. Oh, fingers crossed! Interesting to to see as we uh this podcast comes out after the eagles have won the super bowl here's to hoping um but <clears throat> we uh yeah we had a fantastic guest tonight uh someone who is completely rooted in education in so many facets as she will share right in the opening of the of the conversation and it was it, it just i i feel like this every week we just have such amazing guests i don't know how we've pulled this off just such unbelievable conversations and people that just have unique perspectives on teaching on relationships professional learning is a big topic of of what we talk about tonight which was a nice different spin on our our typical conversation but there's just so many really good teachers out there can i i gotta say though i have a bone to pick this is the second podcast that you've spun off and done their podcast without me. Where's my invites? <laughs> hey, they usually actually ask me, do you want to join too? And I just that say no, you because you're way too difficult to arrange, to get a response from. You've given me Tuesday nights at nine to record. And that's a, that's the most I can get out of you to, you know, I'd have to schedule it six months in advance. And then a week before you would say, oh, by the way, I'm going uh, to Hawaii tomorrow. So I can't record with you anyway. It's a tough life. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, she has another podcast, the the PL Playbook, which she shares at the end, but I'll, I'll share it right now as well. It's a great podcast, completely focused on on professional learning. And so what I appreciate about, about Jackie, our guest, is she is super passionate about curriculum, super passionate about instruction, but she's probably most passionate about supporting teachers with quality professional learning 
to create quality learning in the classroom for students. What was one of your biggest takeaways from the conversation? Um, first off, I feel like the the resources that she shared are all top notch that immediately you can tell that she is so invested in finding high quality resources. You know, part of your role, Ken, and Jackie's, her, her role is to do the scouring and the vetting to make sure and put in front of st your staff resources are, that are worth considering. And I just, I kind of wish that it was an hour of her just being like, oh, you should check out this and this and this and this. But that might be part of where her podcast comes in. And, I, you know, I will definitely be following along. But between the strategies, the positivity that I, you know, gained from that conversation that just ignited just the excitement to go into the classroom tomorrow and and the reminder of when you do this teaching thing right whatever facet that is when you do it right you get that gratification immediately and i i think some days we forget the gratification until we leave the classroom how wonderful that is when we do right by kids they reward us immediately and down the road we just always assume that I'm going to have to wait, you know, 14 years until I have one kid come back that I can barely remember their name. And, you know, they tell me they were favorite teacher. They went into teaching because of you. Um, I, I think we all lean into the hope of that too much. Um, but through just her spirit, I, I just feel like we boost this perspective that, you know, every single day, if you look for it, you can just find the gifts of being a teacher. Absolutely. So I don't want to delay any further. Let's jump right into that conversation with Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing tonight? Hey, Ken and Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm doing great. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to jump into this conversation with you. So for our audience, please officially introduce yourself, let us know where you're coming from, and give us a snapshot of what your career in education has looked like. Sure thing. It's been a very interesting career, to say the least, um, but my name's Jackie Weinkoop. I This is actually my 20th year in education, and I've served kind of in a variety of roles, but had a very unique path. So um, I started off teaching in Maryland, actually, in a very large county with lots of schools, uh, which was fantastic, but I spent four years down there teaching fourth grade, which I love, and I know Matt teaches fourth grade as well, so fourth graders are just the best. Um, and then I ended up moving up to Pennsylvania. I live in Belfont, which is about 10 minutes from Penn State University, so we're right in central PA, where I taught fifth grade for five years, and during that time, I was encouraged to, um, you know, get my master's. And so I thought, well, what can I do? What, what do I love to do? I love to work with teachers. I didn't know if I wanted to be a principal, but I figured if I get a degree in ed leadership, that kind of gives me a variety of pathways. And so I earned my master's in educational leadership and ended up, you know, getting my principal cert. Um, and it was a couple of years before I got into that role. But during the time I was taking courses, my... Uh, administrators of my school and in our district encouraged me to apply for a new role, which was an, an instructional coaching role. It was a role new to the district. Um, the caveat, though, was that it was a secondary 
literacy coaching role at the time. And I was like, I've never taught middle or high school, you know, why do you think I'm a good fit? And they said, well, you know, you're really great working with teachers. You have a lot of literacy knowledge, even the the high school and middle school teachers, like they're kind of craving a lot of the strategies that we sometimes so seamlessly implement at the elementary level. And I said, okay, I'll do it for a year. And also I should say that nobody else applied. So they really needed somebody (laughs) um, because the way they had posed it, it just sounded like awful. Basically it was an implementation coach, a program coach. We were getting this new curricular resource called Springboard and there's nothing wrong with the resource itself, but nobody really wants to be the one coming in and saying, hey, switch everything you're doing and do this. Um, So nobody applied. I said, I'll do it, but I want to guarantee that if I don't like it, like I want to go back to my school, my classroom, same grade. And they agreed to it. So they put a long-term sub in there for the year. And of course I loved it and haven't really looked back. So I spent four years, actually about four and a half years at the secondary level, working with middle and high school teachers. Initially just started off with a literacy focus, but then transitioned into more just general instructional coaching and working with teachers of all content areas. And then I decided to try my hand at administration And I served as the director of gifted and learning enrichment for the state college area school district for a year, loved it, but really, really missed being in a school. It was a central office position. And I just, I get my feels from the kids and from the classroom and from directly working with teachers. And so a position opened back up in Belfont for middle school vice principal, came back to Belfont, served in the role for a year and just thought, you know, I, I, I really liked the role, but I just missed the curricular focus. Like, I knew that I could make more of an impact working with teachers and getting into classrooms and helping them develop lessons. And so when the job opened back up, when my coaching job opened back up, um, I said, I'm going to do it. (laughs) And so I've been back in that role since. So kind of a long story there, but it is a very, like not many people go into administration and then go back into a teaching role. So I just wanted to be upfront about that. Yeah, no, I love that. And there's a, there's a lot I want to unpack about that and about your your willingness to take risks and also, you know, finding your, finding your focus and, and your, <clears throat> your true calling. But there's something very important. I actually want to start off with here, uh, sure. a debate that maybe you can possibly settle once and for all. And as you, as you weigh your decision, keep in mind that I also have my admin, sir. I also am an instructional coach. Mm-hmm. I was on your podcast. So just factor that in <laughs> as, as you make your decision. Yes. That's fourth grade. I was fifth grade for a long time. You taught fourth grade, you taught fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Which grade is the better grade? Oh to teach? my gosh! Well, I'm sorry, I have to go with fourth grade. But <laughs> the, and the I, only I just, right answer right there. About that age. <laughs> there's something about that age. Um, I love the fifth graders as well. Don't get me wrong, but there's just something special about that fourth grade age where they're really growing into their independence, but they still really need you, and they're not necessarily jaded by oh, I'm done with elementary school and I'm ready to go on to middle school, but as I was telling Matt before you hopped on, if I ever went back to the classroom, which 100% I would welcome, like I love teaching, I love kids. If they said, hey, your position's cut for whatever reason, I'd be like, ooh, you know, um, I would want to go teach middle school. I love middle schoolers. I love that age group. So that's kind of where I feel like I'm supposed to be if I, if I go back. No, I, I, can, I can respect that answer. And, <laughs> and what's funny is I think when you're vested in a grade level, it changes your perspective on the immediately surrounding grade levels. Like I had said for years, you know, we always had to fill out a form. If you, where do you want to stay? And if you don't get that grade level, what's your next choice? I would always put, you know, stay in fifth for a while. That was what I wanted to do. 
And if I have to move, I would choose second. I didn't want to go to fourth because I feel like I would have looked at these kids and say, well, you look like fifth graders, but why aren't you performing? Why don't you know this? Why aren't you performing? So, you know, as a fourth grade teacher, I feel like third would be difficult to go to. So I wanted like massive separation, um, you know, when you're, when you're moving grade levels. So, all right, Matt, sorry, I've cut you off the whole time. Go ahead and jump in. <laughs> you're fine. I, I'm just sitting here basking in the glory of, you know, being right <laughs> once again. I think one of the things that kind of come to mind is it's evident just hearing your introduction, how much you love education. And above all that, you know, um, I appreciate your positivity in education, just recognizing that we get a privilege to impact kids' lives every day. I think we're forgetting that quite a bit. And so we try to, in these conversations so often, reframe how we perceive our roles. And there are challenging things, but I love how you said that you came across attributes that allowed you to select and identify which one you liked the best. Because people that really care about this will find solutions. And we're really fortunate between the people we get to talk to that regardless of if you chose to change position or, you know, you were told you were changing positions, um, it usually works out well if you have the right mindset. All that being said, I honestly would love to hear about what are those attributes of that admin role? I think we, <clears throat> as teachers, you mentioned, you know, I'm just going to conclude that I'm going to get a master's degree in ed leadership because it might lead to something as opposed to a master's degree so many times that just make us a better qualified teacher it doesn't lead to anything or the hard one is reading specialists when there's only one per building or district. Like it's such, a, and when, you know, a quarter or more of the staff have that same degree, it's really difficult. So can you kind of talk about it? Because I know I've only ever really gotten the perspective of, oh, I'm a classroom teacher. I could consider being a vice principal or a principal. What are some of those attributes? that would shine a light on other admin roles of that DO position and specifically how they do impact the classroom because we're so used to what our boss says directly and the, the great mystery beyond that. Well, and I think, I mean, the beauty of being, this is year nine for me in the instructional coaching role is that you really kind of are in the middle. You know, you're not quite an administrator you're not quite a teacher, but you really see all sides. And I think for me, I have a unique perspective of working K to 12. You know, I've worked in district office. I've worked in a school office. I've worked at elementary school. I've worked at middle school. I've worked at high school. So I feel like I've, I've, I've seen how the whole educational system works. And I think oftentimes as, as teachers, it's really, really hard to, to understand what the role of a principal is like, right? Just it goes the same way for principals to teachers, especially when you have an administrator who's been out of the classroom for a while. Um, but I forgot to mention my husband is actually a, um, a high school principal. And so we're an education family. But, you know, I think as far as administrators go, I think the hardest part is over time, just losing, losing that connection with kids. Like, sure, you connect with them in other ways, right? You know, but oftentimes, or sometimes it's not super positive. Hopefully you have administrators that are seeking out that positive which is something I try to do. Um, but as far as the principal position goes, you know, there's so much red tape 
and policies and procedures and you're bogged down, especially nowadays with all the safety concerns. And I feel like it's really hard for most administrators to really step out of their office and get into classrooms and interact with kids and, and really be an instructional leader. You know, they're, they're a system leader, they're a manager, and you certainly hope the best of the best principals absolutely are instructional leaders, but it's a lot harder than it seems. And so that was really a deciding factor for me as I just missed the focus on instruction. And I, I saw the path, you know, I had great administrators that I worked with, but I saw the path, even if I stayed in this role, and even if I moved up to principal, like I'm still not going to have the impact that I would in, you know, an instructional position. So that being said, kind of going back to your question too, about, you know, other district office positions that can lead to curricular or instructional roles, of course, would be a director of curriculum and, and instruction which is something I could definitely see myself doing at some point. I'm not ready there yet. My kids are still kind of young and I kind of like the flexibility of if I want to leave at 315, I can leave at 315. Um, but I think for anyone that's getting a master's in, let's say educational le leadership, that doesn't pigeonhole you into only, you know, a supervisor. Well, technically, I guess director of curriculum would be supervisory, but that doesn't pigeonhole you into a principal role. And so that's why I chose it, because I could see, OK, maybe director of curriculum instruction, maybe instructional coach, you know, maybe a principal. I kind of wanted to keep the possibilities open. Can you just kind of clarify and and both of you guys can can do this as instructional coaches, you know, from my perspective. And again, I've never served a role other than teacher. And, and not saying this about my instructional coaches uh, at, at my district, but sometimes I think like director of curriculum and instruction chose a curriculum, you know, and we're going to stick with that curriculum for math and ELA for the next five years. What are those timeframes in between before we readopt? Like, I know that two years out when you're re like evaluating what program you're going with and the instructional coaches are rolling those features out unless you're bringing outside support in. But what are some of those features that all contribute to how I go about teaching my day that we might not know is on your shoulders to make a reality? I don't, I mean, I'm happy to answer that, Ken, unless you both, want to both jump of you, in. Please. You can go first, Jackie. I mean, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind, especially nowadays, and especially with a curriculum director in, in today's age of like book banning. I mean, there's tons of issues about, you know, parents or families or other, even honestly, people outside the community that like are calling to be like, what books do you have and trying to kind of cause a stir. So I think that there's a lot of those things at the board level policies that the director of curriculum has to be aware of. Um, definitely getting community input in some way, like there, that's definitely a hat you have to wear and kind of just balancing, okay, always keeping in mind what's best for the students. And sometimes that can get, I can't, I, I, it shouldn't be hard. It should be easy. But with all of the other pressures on society and from the board and from parents and even from teachers, let's be honest, you know, teachers sometimes are, can be very difficult in that regard, especially when it comes to change. So I think it's just managing all the different pieces, um, especially keeping in mind when you might have a new curriculum coming in and staying true to what's best for the kids what's going to give your students maximum benefit, obviously what's staying true to the standards and just keeping in mind that that resource is just a resource. You know, you're teaching the standards. The standards are your curriculum. Yeah, you might have a core piece, like a core resource, but that's not the be all end all. So I think that's definitely something to keep in mind is just those outside pressures. 
Um, another thing, just going through a curriculum rewrite, because I've definitely been through a few in my time, is just all the paperwork that goes with it that seems kind of unnecessary, but yet at the same time is necessary, um, that I think puts up some roadblocks um, for teachers and getting things implemented right away. I mean, we have teachers going through that now, and it's just paperwork that needs to be there for the state or for the board or whatever. Um, and it can be somewhat of a painful process to go through. And that's definitely something that someone like a curriculum director would have to would have to lead. But a good curriculum director or someone that really focuses on instruction um, really just listens to the teachers, listens to their staff, is in classrooms, knows what's going on, knows research, knows what works. I mean, that, that has to stay true to what they do in order to be effective, in my opinion. I agree. And I think the when you decide to become an administrator, you have to accept that you're going to you're going to give up the things that you love the most when you move into that position. So as a principal, you're going to have you, you want to be an instructional leader, or you hopefully want to be an instructional leader as much as you possibly can. But the reality of a principal is there's a lot of management that goes into it. There's a lot of student behavior all of those things that pull you away from being in the classrooms as much as possible. I think any quality principal would say they want to be in the classrooms as much as possible, but that's what they get pulled away from. What I've come to learn being in district office, you know, my desk is officially in district office, even though I'm probably only there about 15% of the time. Our curriculum supervisors, they want to be in the classrooms a lot. They want to be out and they want to interact with students. I'm not saying they don't, but they want to be out and they want to be seeing instruction. They want to be seeing their teachers using the curriculum in action. And they constantly get pulled away. It's not behaviors. It's not, it's not parent phone calls, but it's, you know, we kind of have a running joke in our office. There are no curriculum emergencies, but it sure seems like there's curriculum emergencies all the time, right? There's things that have to get prepared for the board or have to get prepared for grants or all of these different things that gets dumped onto their plate. And so, you know, someone to, to put things into a box, someone that goes principal, you could say loves to be in a school, loves to be in a school culture, wants to be connected with kids more, but they're going to give up those things they love for all the other responsibilities that come with being a principal. And someone that goes into curriculum, loves curriculum and loves designing curriculum and impacting instruction, they're going to get pulled away from that, from all of the other things that get tied with that job. And it's just something you have to accept. It doesn't mean that they're not creating an impact. They just have to accept the fact that they don't get to see the impact like they did when you're in the classroom. When you're in the classroom, you get to see that impact. As coaches, you know, Jackie and I, we get to see it more, but we don't get to see it like when we were in the classroom. It's we, we are seeing it less. We're seeing it more than admin, but less than teachers. So it's just kind of, it's just kind of that. And that's what I loved about what, what you were sharing about your, your journey is that I love how you made decisions and you said, well, this could be benefit. I could enjoy this for this reason. I'm going to give it a shot. And it wasn't what you wanted. So you made another decision and you kept reevaluating and you kept moving on. And what I love about that is a lot of teachers are typically afraid to move grade levels, let alone move to a different school in the district, not even just a grade level. And I think it's, I don't like, I don't like when things are shaken up just to be shaken up. I think if a teacher is being highly effective in a grade level, there's not a reason to move them. But at the same time, I think teachers need to get moved more because I think they need to 
open their eyes up to different grade levels, open their eyes up to different schools in the same district and see what they can learn from different colleagues. And, and I think there's so much, so much value in that. So I, I think just hearing your willingness to take risks and just saying, well, hey, if I don't like it, I'll just go back to the classroom. Well, what's, what's the worst are- that can happen? People, people honestly thought I was, I was crazy. They're like, you're leaving like state college, you know, to, and then you're leaving this role. And I was like, yeah, because I, I am someone who I have to follow my passions. I'm very passionate about education. I'm very passionate about teaching and kids. And for me, I could not accept the fact that I was not as connected to the kids and to instruction. And I said, this is where my heart is. And it did, you know, people, I think, and I wasn't as worried about it, but other people, friends, colleagues, you know were worried about, okay, so you're in the middle school as a, as a coach for four and a half years, built great relationships with teachers. I leave for a year. I come back to that same middle school now as a supervisor, which people thought was going to be tough because, you know, the big thing about a coach is you're not a supervisor. And now I was in that supervisory role. But I think because I had already built such great relationships with them, they knew that, you know, yeah, when I come in for an observation, like, our chat may look a little different than maybe typical ones because I'm approaching it from that instructional lens lens working as a coach. And then though, when I went back as a coach, you know, people just thought that's never going to work. And honestly, it was completely fine. It's not a, not a single issue, super seamless because I think people know like that's where my heart is and that's where my passion is. And I just, I want to help. So it wasn't an issue at all, but yeah, I, I couldn't deal with, I couldn't handle the fact that I was not having in, as much of an impact instructionally. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. And so, so you have such a broad perspective on, on teaching. So we've had the conversation many times on this podcast. I've had the conversation similar to you. I left elementary. I'm now a secondary instructional coach. Good teaching is good teaching. So what would you say are one, two, maybe, maybe let's just say one or two, one or two instructional strategies, instructional approaches that you have found that teachers can effectively implement K to 12. And maybe it was something that was more secondary based and it's pushed into elementary and elementary has embraced it or vice versa. It was an elementary based and there was maybe some resistance at secondary, but they've embraced it and now seen the, the power in it. And you're thinking just like an instructional strategy, something that they may embed into a lesson or something bigger, like... Class, something that deals with classroom environment. That's really Take it any way you want. Oh, man. What is, good teaching is good teaching. Oh, well, I mean, this is a pretty big thing. But to me, you cannot, you can absolutely not be an effective teacher, coach, leader of any kind without, you know, building trust, building a sense of trust and building those strong foundational relationships. You're never going to move people forward if they can't trust you, if they don't believe in you. Um, you don't have to know all the answers and I definitely don't have all the answers and I don't pretend to, and I make that very clear that we're partners and that, you know, when I'm working with teachers, we're in this together, but it doesn't matter whether it's a teacher in the classroom or it's a coach working with teachers or it's a a school leader working with teachers is you have to have that trust because without it, you're just never going to, you're never going to make progress. So definitely. Well, I mean, I think it's just, it's listening to kids, being aware of their needs, being open to their needs. And and as you know, I mean, the needs of a kindergartner 
are very different than the needs of a 12th grader. So, and I do think it does take a certain kind of teacher or a certain kind of personality to work with 12th graders versus someone who's going to work with kindergarten. And I can confidently say I would never want to teach kindergarten. I actually had to sub for kindergarten. They were really short subs a couple of years ago. And I will do it if I'm told, but I was just lucky that I kept them alive in all honesty. So... <laughs> Um, I think just that that level of trust is just listening to your kids and um, kind of like what your podcast is all about, empowering them. You know, they they need to know that you care and that you're going to be there for them. But at the same time, you have to challenge them. And so that challenge, though, doesn't come unless you have that trust. So I don't know if that answered your question, but um, I think it's just an open classroom environment that's caring yet challenging at the same time where kids know they can take take risks and teachers know they can take risks and it'll be okay because you're there to support them yeah i i completely agree so i'm gonna i'm gonna probably i'm gonna challenge you give us something more instructionally based that you you see happening in in all levels that you find teachers once they get their groove in it they they find it to be really effective instructionally well i mean i can give a very specific strategy as i'm looking across on my board because one of the things that I that I, I haven't done it as much this year now that I'm K to 12 and I'm, my time's kind of stretched then I'm going to be honest. But when I first started in the coaching role in a way as a way to build relationships with teachers, I would hold monthly, I called them strategy mini sessions. I had tons of food, coffee, raffles. And of course, it's never easy for people to give up time and there is limited time. So I would say, come down to the mailroom. I'll have these snacks out. Come and learn about this particular strategy. Let's talk about how you can use it in your classroom. Um, And then, you know, that builds connections for the future. So over the years, man, I've shared close to like 30 different um, instructional strategies with teachers that I honestly feel could work at at most levels. The ones that I pick, I feel are applicable to all content areas. And definitely like the ones I shared at secondary are applicable to to middle and high school. Um, One that comes to the top of my mind, which I think could be done in primary classrooms, it would just definitely have to be more teacher guided and teacher facilitated and probably more of a whole group type thing. Um, not sure if you've heard of the, stra- the strategy and I always say it wrong. I'm going to mess it up, but it's hexagonal thinking. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of this strategy? Mm-hmm. It's one of, it, of my favorites, Matt, you will love it. Can't I'll wait. be happy to send you resources. <laughs> I actually, and I can't take like credit for this. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of EMC to learning. Have I have heard, heard of, that? of that. Yes. Great site. 100%. You should definitely check check it out. There are these two guys, educators that focus on gamification and just kind of gamifying the learning experience for kids and just student engagement in general. And they have tons of resources. But anyway, uh, one of the founders of this site shared, like I randomly found this video on YouTube. It was suggested to me. And so basically the strategy is thinking about a hexagon, right? And if you think, and this is a great way to connect it with kids too. If you think about bees and you think about the honeycomb. It is a hexagon. So I'm not sure if you if you knew that or ever thought about that. And there's a lot of mathematical thinking behind why the hexagon is the perfect shape for that honeycomb, right? Um, but basically how the strategy works is it's, it's a discussion strategy and you can give the students um, hexagons. I, I honestly prefer like tangible materials. You can do it digitally, but I just found it just does not have the same effect as actual hexagons but i I agree i think it's much better tactile 
Yeah, totally. Because um, you can move them around. You can manipulate them, manipulate them. So you can give them hexacons with any, honestly, anything on them. Pictures, vocabulary terms, you know, quotes from books. Really, the possibilities are endless. Um, and the students are put in small groups. And together, they have to find a way to make connections among the items on those hexagons. And so what's what's nice is that you could have, you know, five different groups in your room and every hexagon could look to or every web I should say would look totally different um, because the kids are finding different connections and the goal is to try to build as many connections as you can so you could just make a connection with one side of one hexagon to another side but is there a way you can connect to and as you build the web it's basically one big interconnected web of ideas and it could relate to obviously the content you're teaching it could be a um, before teaching strategy, before they get to the learning to see what they know. And then you can have them go back and revisit, well, how did your webs change? Um, again, you could do it in small groups. I, I had one teacher who actually had this moving hexagonal web throughout the entire unit. And as they learn new concepts or skills, they would collectively as a group, like place it on there. And then they might have to make adjustments throughout as well. So I found that is just one really fantastic strategy. It's like low prep, so easy and if you even want to make it challenging just give the kid like don't do the work give the kids the blank hexagons let them come up with what's on them you know other than cutting them out which again I, I i really recommend the tangible but if you cut them out you laminate them you have them for a couple years give them some dry erase markers that strategy every single time i've used it every single time a teacher has used it like the kids have loved it the teachers have loved it it just it always goes well yeah, I, I agree. You said about low prep. You can make it low prep if you make that one-time investment to, like you said, cut them out, laminate them, cut them out again as they're laminated. And then you, I mean, even when you prep for a lesson, you don't even need to write on the cards. You just give the kids the list of the words and they write them on the cards. And and just to help our listeners try to visualize it a little bit more, if you can imagine when you have kids like do like some sort of web map or you know mind map where they're trying to link things or start at the center and branch out and branch out from there it's the same concept but i completely agree it's way more effective because i think it's a little bit more structured in the sense that you physically have to connect flat sides of the of the hexagons and it gets them to try to like you said build those webs i, I love when you see two start from the center branch out and then there's something that connects them like farther out it's a it's a really cool concept, and we'll we'll link up to that website that you mentioned in our yeah. In oh, our it's show notes. it's fan it's fantastic that website, and that was just that was just one video that I came across, and I actually I think I did it last year was the first year I shared it on like a professional learning day, and I've done it so many times so many times since. So, and another like quick little tip if you don't feel like cutting out the hexagons, because I actually have pictures of my children cutting them out in my kitchen before this professional learning day, like hundreds of them. I put them to work and I paid them to do it because I did not want to do it. But my friend and I have since adjusted and we bought a couple sets of hexagon shaped plates at Target. And then we just give them index cards or post-its and then they put it in there and then do it. So that's like an easy way. And the, the plates last for a while. So I don't like cutting Target makes out. hexagon shaped plates. It's they're hard to find, but Target sells them and they're pretty cheap. Yes. That is my recommendation. Um, I also, this is like totally unrelated to, to uh, hexagonal thinking, but uh, I love like a real quick whiteboard is just use solo plates. And they're, I mean, get those solo plates. We don't want to throw them away anyway because they're bad for the environment. They really shouldn't be making them. But 
we can take them for our own nefarious purposes and we can use them as impromptu whiteboards. And I just use uh, makeup, like makeup remover pads and dry erase marker. And I always kind of carry them with me. Well, you know, quick tip, but I mean, I keep makeup remover with me at all times. So, you know, <laughs> we might have to get a bottle. Steal one from well, the wife. I am very well known among my friends and they still joke about it, but let me tell you, it has come in handy more times than I can count is I carry Tide pens everywhere. That sounds about right. 100%. Keep them on you. So I guess, you know, you kind of bridged a topic that is very fearful uh, to many of us, which is, you know, interacting with peers and not, I assume not in an authority way, but, you know, your roles, and I'll open this up to you, Ken, as well. Uh, I had a conversation this morning, actually, with our uh, tech integrator about offering an opportunity to teach others in my district in an upcoming professional development day. And I've had the chance to do this. I, I, this is not something I, I literally said to him, honestly, when you see that there is a hole and you need a mat size, you know, plug for that hole, whatever, you know, if that's. Uh, you know, student engagement, if it's, you know, STEM integration, whatever the case may be, we can talk about something. I have no, no worry with that. My coworker almost went white when he offered for her to have that opportunity to speak in front of, um, you know, fellow, I think it's a little different going to a conference where you don't know anyone. Um, I don't know, better or worse, but this is a specific activity where you're working with peers that are truly your equivalents that you know inside and outside of school. So what are some of those ways besides just supplying food that you feel like, because I think that's a big one. You know, I did this, I used to do uh, like five minute uh, little PDs. You'd come down, I'd do demonstration of STEM type tools. If you wanted to borrow my resources, you'd be welcome to them. I didn't know, I had just gotten them. So it was just kind of like a sandbox, us play and see what we could do with it. Um, but what are some of the strategies or ways that you would encourage someone who's more hesitant? Because the classic line is, I have no problem speaking to, you know, 20 sets of eyes of five-year-olds. But the moment that I have to talk to other people about education that also know about education, they completely freeze up. Well, I mean... Oh, I might, if you have something can go, because you know how I feel about professional learning. I mean, that's what my mm -hmm. entire podcast mm -hmm. is framed around. And so I could definitely talk for hours about this. So I don't want to take up your time if there's anything you want to say first. Well, I'll, I'll jump in first and I'll talk specifically about encouraging teachers. And then you can, you can take it maybe a little bit more of just like PD style and, and, and things like that. So this is something that we've been trying to do as an instructional coaching team is getting more of our teachers to present. We're trying to facilitate more professional learning days where we need a lot of presenters. So it's, it's out of, it's out of that context, but also in our district, we have professional learning that's labeled district credits, which is more of like, it's, it's applicable to teachers across all grade levels, across all schools or across like maybe all eighth grade teachers, that kind of thing. And then we have building level PD, which is typically more aligned to building specific goals. And anytime a principal is, has approached me about running something specific for the building, I always ask, who's your rockstar teacher at this that I can facilitate it with? 
and 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 I'm very specific of who's not who's like the teacher you always go to. Who's really good at this that doesn't know, that nobody else knows or that they don't even know that they're really good at this. I want to work with them. And so when I when I approach them or the principal kind of volleys the conversation out there for me to to continue with, uh, I approach it from, listen, you're great in the classroom. You're great at this, whether you realize it or not. And right now they're they're already feeling overwhelmed with emotion because they're not used to hearing that. I'm going to set everything up for you. You just have to come and talk about what you do. Just bring a couple of examples. I'll organize everything else for you. And I've been able to successfully do this a few times. And the teachers always really appreciate that experience because they go in with low anxiety. Their only anxiety is that, you know, that nervousness of presenting to your, their colleagues, like, like you're saying, Matt, but they don't have to worry about like the timing of the session or the materials or all the other, all the other things that come with it. They're just ready for me to serve up the conversation to them. And, and they always leave it saying, thank you so much. Like, I really enjoyed that. Like, you know, you made it so easy and it's, and it's always, I'm, my response is always, you're the expert. I, I'm just here to facilitate the opportunity for you to share that. So that's kind of my approach with the, the building level specifically. And, and, and part of that is trying to support them to take all the other burdens off of that. And, and the other part of that it's, is being targeted. So not, hey, you should run a session for us. That would be awesome. It's Matt you are really good at creating engagement in your classroom. I would love if you could do a session on that the next time we have a PD day. So I'm being very specific with you of what, I, what I'm recognizing in you that I want you to share with your colleagues. And it's honestly a similar strategy I used in my classroom. I would say to my kids, hey, you, if anybody needs help on using this technology tool, Ryan is the expert at that tool. Don't come to me, go to him. Or when we were doing picture books, if you're really bad at drawing and you don't want to draw the cover of your picture book, don't forget Jacob. He's like an unbelievable artist. If he has the time, go ahead and let him draw your cover for you. That's fine with me. So like really tapping in, but being very specific with what I or someone else is recognizing as their expertise so that they feel a little bit more empowered to say like, oh, like that's what you want me to talk about. I can do that. Because if you just ask a teacher to present, they're going to think, well, what do I have to share? Yeah. I mean, I was going to really say much of the same thing. Um, definitely. I'm glad you let, let me go first then. So now I sound better. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, definitely we we want to empower our teachers. Our, our whole goal as a system should be to like build future leaders and build future instructional leaders and nobody ever in a school should ever be seen as the instructional leader. You know, everybody has something to offer. And so for sure, I was going to say partner up. And that's actually what, I mean, in our district, and if you've listened to the podcast, you know, like we kind of do a lot of unique things in our district. Um, but I will say at this point, we're probably 90% or more completely teacher led and planned as far as our professional learning days. Um, and it definitely didn't happen overnight. Um, we've, you know, we developed a professional learning committee about seven years ago or so that really like dug into all of this work because we were noticing massive disengagement in teachers on professional learning days. And just there wasn't any teacher agency and just it wasn't effective because the principals didn't have time. You know, nobody really has the time to do it. Um, we kind of needed this whole team to rally around. But one of the things that we were really 
wanted to remain true to in our new model is, is we know that teachers like to learn from other educators. We want to hear it from the people that are in the classroom. And so we put a lot of things in place to try to encourage teachers to share their knowledge with colleagues. For sure, when we have our professional learning days, we, we always encourage teachers to partner up with somebody. Like partnering up with somebody definitely helps. And like you said, as a coach, I think giving that specific feedback and being really intentional about why you're coming to that person and why you think they would be a good fit for this session or for this content is key. Just like with kids, we know they need specific feedback, right? And so giving them specific feedback, yes, but also as a coach, I'm always more than willing and I have helped many, many teachers plan a session, either one that we had led together um, or one that after planning, they felt comfortable leading on their own. Um, we also we also do a lot, I won't say bribing, but we offer a lot of incentives for teachers to present to their colleagues because we know it can be very difficult. And it's not for everybody. There are some amazing teachers in our district that I so wish would share with their colleagues and they just, they're not comfortable with it. And we also honor that too, but we always still try to get them. Um, so we do pay our teachers double the length of the session time at the contractual rate. So if the session's an hour and a half, they get paid for three hours of planning time. Um, so that's obviously a nice perk. People, nobody really wants to do it for free. And let's be honest, teachers have no time during the day to plan out something for their colleagues. So we offer that. We also offer um, on all of our professional learning days, we give away, we have like fun raffles for our presenters. We walk around with fun little carts with prizes. Um, at the end of the year, we create a personalized like professional letter that would say, hey, Ken, thank you. know, Ken really rose above and sharing his knowledge with his colleagues this year. Here are all the sessions that he presented and he should be commended for, you know, helping others grow in the profession. And that can be added to a portfolio that can be given at the end of your eval meeting as evidence for meeting domain four and professional responsibilities. Um, so those are just like a couple of things. Um, I think it's also just, if, if you really want to get the teachers to to present, you have to have that and goes back to trust. You have to have an environment of trust that they're going to be supported, um, that you're going to help, you know, help them along the way with that support. But it, it, we had to completely reframe professional learning in our district and now it has a totally different vibe. So it's something people looked forward to seven years ago. It would be like walking on the plank for people to present to their colleagues because everybody hated professional learning days. Now they love it and they want to look, I don't, I won't say they don't like it when people from outside the district come in because we do have that every once in a while, but they really prefer learning from their colleagues. So, and I just want to add on two things and Matt, you can jump in. You definitely need to compensate them a hundred percent. It's not fair if you don't, that whether it's, you know, we, we have to earn hours. So we'll like double their hours if whatever the session is kind of dissimilar to the pay. So you definitely have to do that. That is respect of their profession and respect of their time as professionals. And the other thing I, you know, and I totally forgot what the other thing was. I had something <laughs> else. It'll, it'll come back to me. It'll come back. I, I wanted to, I wanted to recognize that. Go ahead, Matt. So I guess my, I have a few routes that I'd like to go. <clears throat> the ending question will be, Mainly for Jackie, you know, it sounds like you got professional development to get to a point where it is purposeful and embraced by your staff. And that is a big jump. But for whether you're a position like mine, where you're advocating for good PD, or you're in a position that's designing PD, what are some of those first steps 
to make that a reality. Um, as you mentioned, uh, it's seven years later. I'm sure it didn't take seven years to be to the level it is, but what are some of those introductory steps or milestones that you made sure to include that got you to the point that you're at today? Well, I mean, I, I, I mentioned this when I was talking before, but I really, really strongly encourage all schools or districts to create a professional learning team. So get a team of teachers. It doesn't have to be big, but it should be representative, you know, representative of all different levels and different content areas and different roles. So don't forget about your, you know, aides and your support staff members. Like everybody plays a critical role in our school district and should have a say in, in professional learning. It should have meaningful professional learning. So definitely get a professional learning team started. So that's kind of where we began. We had a group of about 20 teachers and we did meet over the summer and the district paid. And we spent a couple of days over the summer just digging into the research and the literature about best practices for professional learning for educators. And it's something that I really encourage you to go listen to. I think it's like the second episode of my podcast, maybe the second and third. Um, but I just basically summarize the, the research and the literature about best practices for professional learning. And, you know, it's it's got to be choice-based, not all the time, but choice-based is a factor. So that was something that we focused on. It has to be applicable. You know, we shouldn't have the speech pathologist sitting in a session about, you know, math or whatever. I mean, there's times for that, but we have to make it meaningful for our people. Um, it also has to be like embedded, you know, so find ways to, we're not just going to sit and get for today and then it's going to be wiped out of our mem memory. So making sure there's time built in to the sessions or to the actual structure of the professional learning day itself for teachers to apply the learning. Um, one of the things we actually just added this last time around is we called it, one of the teachers said she's going to trademark it. So it's the collab, collab TM. She wants us to be clear about that. Um, but it's a place where you go to your session and then you can come to the collab to apply what you learned and network with other educators. And like I was there to help support teachers, uh, but that was fantastic. So we're giving teachers the trust. You went, you learned. We maybe didn't have time in that hour and 15 minutes to do it justice. So come to the collab and apply what you learned and plan something. And it was, it was very effective. But you know, the biggest thing out of all those, and I could go on and on, but would would be voice. So whether you're able to develop a, you know, district-wide professional learning committee, which I think is key, you know, at the least, hear your teachers, listen to your teachers. What do they need? They know what they need and they also, and they know what's missing. They're able to identify that. So I think you just, again, it comes down to listening to your staff. <laughs> We're the ones in the trenches. Um, we don't, we don't know it all. We're definitely not perfect by any stretch of the means, but we definitely can articulate what our needs are and most importantly, what our students' needs are. Can you both kind of follow up on that from the lens of someone approving your professional learning because leaving it wide open has many routes that it can go. And while I think we all can understand as educators how having choice and voice in that is where we have the most amount of productivity, the amount of PD time is so limited that to leave it unstructured is scary from someone from that superintendent and you know, uh, down to that instructional tech role, uh, instructional coach role. So how do you justify that conversation when you say realistically, 
if I give my teachers the chance, they'll advocate for what they need and making sure that's actually a reality. I don't know if you want to jump in, Ken. I, I can too. Um, I would say, you know, thinking about what you're saying, Jackie, about the committee and, and being choice-based, I think that's incredibly important. And I think it's important from what you're saying, Matt, about the approval standpoint is to pushing our teachers to saying more than we need time. You know, I, I hear that constantly. We, need, we just need time to do this. We just need time to do that. And I get it. You do. Teachers are always searching for more time. But there's also the reality that when you give them that free we're just going to we're just going to gift you these 2 hours to work on some of these goals that we've been working on you find a large majority of teachers not using that time effectively at all and so that's where that other side of the perspective of the administrators comes from that if we give them that time they're they're not going to effectively use it so i think when you're advocating for teacher choice it's about pushing those teachers to think about what exactly are you looking for? What are strategies you're looking to improve? What are tools you're looking to implement? What can that session look like? And we can build in that embedded time, like you said, but there needs to be some purpose behind it. So getting our teachers to think about more and be reflective of what they need other than time. It can't always be about time because that's, that's a reality of teaching. And to be completely fair, that's a reality of education in general. Every person in the educational organization doesn't have enough time to do the job that they have. Yeah. And, and I think like to go back to that question again, it, it took us seven years. We would never have done the collab the first year, you know, now we have all these other pieces in place where teachers do have, like we've built great teacher agency in our district. And I, you know, I could talk about a lot of other things too, but we would not have done the collab, collab in the first year. Um, and so I, I think part of that is yes, that, particular example might be unstructured, but there was still structure built in. So I was there, administrators were there. They weren't there as like a gotcha, like a watchful eye. They're there to support. Um, and there's time built in. Okay, what are we going to work on? Okay, how are we at right now? Okay, what did you guys accomplish? Like, what are your next steps? So it wasn't just sit in the room and go, you know, there's definitely, I don't want to say monitoring, but if, if you're being active and you're networking and you're talking to people, like, and, and people aren't going to come to that, that don't, you know, like, I, I think it also goes back to the same thing with professional learning. Why should we make all the teachers that want this and need this suffer because a few people that don't care? It's going to be the same people that if you just go back to sit and get on a district-wide professional learning day, they may be there, but they're not really there. And they're not going to do it anyway the right way. We know it doesn't matter whether it's teaching or whether it's any other job. There's people that are above and beyond and there's people that are just phoning it in. And we're always going to have those people. We still do in our district. We have not changed everybody by any stretch of the means. But we're not going to let the majority of the teachers who, who need this time and who are going to use it the right way suffer because of a few. That's kind of the way that we look at it. Which I think is fair. And I think we all can understand that too often we do let that one voice or few voices dictate um, or, you know, we are trying to be so cognizant of that. So the next, and I, this is the main one that I have is, you know, professional learning has changed with the inclusion of personal learning networks. Um, but even, you know, from someone who's received great professional learning um, opportunities and had great PD days in-house from Pequa Valley, the district that I'm in, um, I, I honestly feel 
you know, sorry at this point when you do have good PD in district for someone outside to come in. Like it is just, once you have a system of how things going and you mentioned this, the trust not being there and you're just serving the need of going through a process of, you know, a material I could self-discover at that point. I feel like, you know, that's a really unfair position that getting someone like you guys in instructional coaching roles to be the ones that not only dive into it, but deliver the PD is a huge thing. That being said, how has your role changed because of the increased dependency on your personal learning network? And what I mean by that really comes down to, we went through a phase where the only people that you were getting feedback for a while were people within your district that may or may not had may have had teaching strategies like you. My wife is a fourth grade teacher with me. She gets so many ideas and style ideas and concepts of frame breaks and all these different things from Instagram. She absolutely absorbs all of those. And then there are the good and bad items of things like teacher pay teacher. Whereas I'm on Twitter connecting and viewing all these different features reaching out and getting these ideas. I bring so many of those ideas, some vetted, some not, and some successful, some definitely not. How do you feel like you tap into the idea of you, your teacher next door doesn't have to teach just like you for you to grow as a teacher? Classic example, we have a friend, Mike Creed. He's a friend of the podcast and friend of ours. I will text Mike very frequently about a topic and just be like, hey, this is coming up. How would you handle it? Because his brain works like mine. So if I am in a blockage, he's my go-to person outside of the district. So I know there's a lot of ways you can go with that question, but the PLN has both you know, armed us as teachers to find our tribe that guides us if we use it productively. Sometimes I want to blow off my colleagues because I'm like, hey, I know these people are really going to help me, but but that's not necessarily instructionally fair either. Well, I mean, I, I personally have been, oh gosh, on Twitter probably for nine years since I started coaching. And that's just been a great way for me to make connections with other educators and seeing what they're doing in their schools and definitely have gained a lot of ideas that way. In fact, pretty sure that's how Ken and I connected um, <laughs> was via Twitter. But um, also as a coach, and I don't know if you have this, Ken, in your intermediate unit, but when I first started as a coach nine years ago, I had no clue what I was doing. I mean, I mean, I knew what the coaching role was. I knew the way it was like described wasn't really what I thought it should be. And I had ideas to already shift that. Um, but we have in our district, we had, it actually used to be called PIC, the Pennsylvania Institute for Instructional Coaching, which now that's kind of shifted because the state took away funding for that. But we still have monthly meetings at our local intermediate unit. And there's someone at the IU who facilitates that, who's kind of a coaching expert. And we bring in all of the instructional coaches from all of our surrounding school districts in our IU to network once a month. And honestly, that's where I get most of my ideas. Most of the things I do and implement are either an idea I stole from somebody else or something that collaboratively during our network time we've come up, come up with. So as a teacher, you can't be on an island. As a coach, you can't be on an island. You don't know it all. 
Um, and you really do need to connect and collaborate with others in order to grow. That's, that's key. That's absolutely key. So yeah, it, it, honestly, it's completely changed me as an educator for sure. I, I agree. And it's, it's hard. Like it's, it's hard to figure out how to do it as social media path. That can be a path for you. It, it possibly cannot. It's hard to get, it's hard to get started in that going to conferences, I think is great. And stepping out of your comfort zone and, and meeting others in sessions and talking to them and, and trying to stay connected with them. But, you know, you mentioned the intermediate unit. So in Pennsylvania, we have that. Um, but other, other states have things that are similar. It's a, it's an organization that is supporting multiple schools or multiple school districts, and they host a lot of sessions and workshops. And, and I would just, and a lot of times, especially in those local things, they're free or they're very, very inexpensive for you to go to when your district is a part of that intermediate unit or a part of that group. And like you said, sometimes the content or the session might not be that great, but you meet someone else that teaches, you know, the same subject or the same grade level as you, and you connect on the way that you teach. And now you can exchange emails and you can bounce ideas off of, even if it's just one person to make that, that connection with, I, th I think it's so important to, have others that you can collaborate with. And maybe you're in a situation where your grade level partners are that, and that's fantastic. But the reality is, is that's not always the case. And so I, I would just highly encourage teachers to consistently research Google, talk to administrators, find ways to get to events that happen outside of your school. And there's a very, uh, not well-known secret, schools have a lot of money to send teachers to stuff that even aren't free because I've, I've mentioned this before, there are specific grant funds dedicated to professional learning that typically go untapped or very little of it tapped because it's not something on a, a, the radar of an administrator to constantly seek out opportunities to figure out how to spend that money. So when they're asked, it's usually pretty easy for them to say yes. Um, and so I would just encourage teachers to continually seek out opportunities to meet with other educators there for a common goal of, of content or, or resources. All right. So I'm going to ask one more question and then I have another question and then we can do our exit ticket. But I, I have to ask this. I have to ask this question because I feel like I'm seeing this. I have a student teacher right now and she is wonderful. Um, but one of the things that I'm noticing, <clears throat> and it kind of goes back to um, not necessarily SAMR, but when looking at, oh my gosh, it's going to blank on me now, the three tiers where it's pedagogy, technology, and oh my, TPAC, TPAC. Um, so the, the kind of looking at the framework of the instruction paired with good teaching practices and technology. As an instructional tech, or sorry, an instructional coach in this current role, I see some people leading with their instructional ideas that are more rooted in engagement than high quality instruction. How do you navigate or do you have any suggestions of how we can find a balance because new teacher or old, I think... Uh, that's not a good way to put it, experienced teacher or, you know, novice. I think we all have those challenges when we try something new of how can we get the most instructional bang for the buck 
but also presented in a way that's as engaging to students as possible. Well, I mean, I think I, I see that as an issue as well with teachers is that especially with just the way technology is changing and there's always a new, fun, shiny object out there, you know, that, yeah, a lot of teachers are putting the tech, you know, before the core stuff. And so I always try to frame them when I'm working with teachers and they may come with me for a lesson idea or want to collaborate together is I always just encourage them focus on the instruction first. So kind of starting with that end in mind, but the, the technology should be the last piece. So here's what you want to do. Here's your content. Now, which tool best matches that? Not, I want to use this tool. How am I going to use it? You know, it's got to be, it's got to be the other way around. So, I mean, I think it's just through conversation as with anything in education, we need to be modeling those practices ourselves. So I always try to, as a coach, when I'm leading sessions and I lead a lot of sessions, like to model effective instruction, to model good strategies, to not overemphasize the shiny new object and make sure that it's seamlessly integrated with the content. So modeling, modeling for sure, I think is key. So let me just update this question and I'd love for you to answer again. I think a lot of us uh, totally recognize that answer. One of the challenges, say it is you just moved to a new grade level, you haven't necessarily made all of the Pathageway, I, I think back that hexagonal, hexagonal, I can't say it now. It's hard Thinking. to say, I know. Hexagonal. hexagonal. I want to say hexagonal. hexagonal, but it's hexagonal. Yeah. So that idea of finding all those connections, sometimes until you're actually in front of kids, you're not able to, like, I find myself realizing why or how things are connected as I'm teaching it. So I guess a better question for that is, I know that I want my instruction to be rooted and high quality content, how do you accelerate yourself to being prepared to see scope and sequence pair that with, you know, like how is today's lesson helped by yesterday's lesson and going to improve tomorrow's lesson and almost like get up to speed as soon as possible, you know, how be, lesson that you're proud of i know that's a little different than what i originally asked though um i don't know that's like a loaded question i mean i feel like it everybody everybody in the system has to work together so a teacher like kind of i said before like a teacher's not an island they can't do it all on their own sometimes they want to but they can't so that's why it's really important that you have your cur curriculum director not sitting in you know, the ivory tower, you know, yeah, they have an office, and they need to be there. And like Ken said at the beginning, like, there's a lot of things they have to do. And I know that for a fact. So I'm not negating that, but they need to be in the classrooms, they need to be directly working with the teachers and making sure that the curriculum isn't just something that we talk about every five years when it's time to adjust or time to get a new resource. So I think it's just embedding things throughout the day, throughout professional learning, you know, making things really intentional and giving teachers time to talk about what you're talking about with others, you know, because unless you're teaching a really unique content area, you're, you're likely going to have somebody at least that you can collaborate with. So to me, I'm going to help understand all of those pieces and kind of see the big picture and find the interconnectedness the more I talk with others. And you know, just that idea of, of long-term lesson planning, you know, you don't have to have every single detail figured out for every single lesson for a unit, but you have to know 
where your unit's going to end up and you have to work backwards that way. So I think the hard part, and it goes back to what Ken said about time, and we're never going to get more of it, is just finding unique ways to build in time for teachers to do some of that work. Um, just being really creative and and how you give teachers the opportunity to think through those things. Because let's be honest, I mean, I do it myself. I have a, a training all day tomorrow with third grade teachers, you know, like we're covering all sorts of things. And was that, did I have it planned weeks in advance? No. Did I know everything I wanted to do, you know, from the very beginning to the very end? No, like I just finished it up today. So, I mean, we have to be honest about that piece, but I think the more opportunities that districts and district and school leaders can give teachers to, to think through those things um, and put structures in place to make sure that that's a priority, the better. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's where my head went. I mean, my, my question is just, you know, tailing in all sorts of different ways. So I thought you did a great job. Um, Ken, I don't know if I had that last question that I, I would love to ask, but I don't know if you have a response beforehand. Yeah, I'll just jump in real quick and then you can ask it. I, I personally think that when it comes to the integration of technology, the integration of curriculum, the relevancy of of curriculum from the office to the classroom is I think there needs to be a back to basics from everybody of rooting teachers in good quality teaching. I think the art of teaching is being lost the far the further and further we go into the 21st century, whatever you want to call it. I think it has nothing to do with technology. I just think it has to do everything with programs. I think it has to do with technology. I think it has to do with the way technology is being used, the way teachers are evaluating it. Like you said, you know, I always encourage them, tell me what the lesson is. Some, you know, if a teacher doesn't use technology at all, but they just want to because they, they feel, you know, it's being relevant, it's going to engage the kids. Great. That's, that's fine. Tell me what you do. And I'll recommend a tool that can fit into that and maybe make it more efficient for you or make it more creative for you. But I, I think I just think education as a whole is losing sight of what good quality teaching looks like and empowering teachers to craft creative quality lessons. It all goes back down to just following the formula that comes from the program. Yeah, I, I completely I, I, agree. So I'll, I'll just leave it there because that's that's a whole nother series of podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> and we could go. So go ahead and yeah, jump in with that we, last question. We could go into that because I think it is it's hard when you're trying to take attempts. You're taking stabs and seeing what is evaluating what works, how it works, if it works. Uh, it's a hard thing, and and just because Ken, you can tell me that it's a good tool for you if it doesn't connect your teaching style that I think that's the hard part sometimes with permission and I'm sure your guys's role you give a lot of permission to you know kind of embrace it and take it on and and uh fail and and be okay with that but the last question I really have is uh very briefly two parts how do you manage not having this desire to go back to the classroom as people that love teaching so much, and Jackie, you kind of, as you mentioned, you kind of ascended, I guess is one way to consider it. And then I, I would hardly say backpedaled, but with that being the case, like I know for teachers like myself, I feel like I am not ready to move into a different role yet until I was told to because of thoughts like having unfinished business or, you know, I'd hate to see a tool that totally 
it comes into my world or a curricular, you know, strategy that I just crave trying with kids and know that the role that I accepted wouldn't allow me to do it fully. And when that's our core passion, how do you balance that by, by also balancing no, like knowing that you have a bigger gift to give or can have more impact? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously it's the instructional coaching role. So there's lots of different roles, but there, this literally is the best job in the world. And I, and I am someone who loves teaching, loved my classroom, loved working with kids. You know, I, yeah. Do I miss the daily interactions with kids and building kind of that long-term relationship and connection with them? But yes, but I, I, I still can do that. I mean, I'm in classrooms the majority of the time. I'm K to 12 now, so I'm not in the same classrooms as often as I was when I was just middle and high school. Um, but the kids, the kids know me, the, the kids talk to me. I mean, kids write me notes, like, you know, like I still build those connections with kids and I find other ways as well. So because I missed that direct connection a couple of years ago, I, I brought in the destination imagination program to my school, which I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It's fantastic for STEM, like, oh my gosh, amazing. Um, but it is a creative problem solving organization. And it encourages kids to form small teams and they can choose from one of six STEAM challenges and they spend all year working on that challenge and present it at the state level. And we'd love to see more teams in PA because we're one of the very few. So the nice part is we usually win first, but we want, we want some challenge. But like I formed that team because I wanted to have that connection with kids and I, I wanted, you know, I wanted a way to still to connect with them every day. Um, but in the coaching role, like I, I'm still teaching. Everything I'm doing is teaching. And the, and the best part of this role in particular is that no day is the same. And I'm constantly, and I mean constantly growing and learning, and I'm constantly challenged because I never know when a teacher reaches out exactly what that may transpire into. Or, you know, I've worked with teachers of all content areas, like high school math, you know, like that is so totally out of my comfort zone. So I'm I'm out of my comfort zone, yeah, quite a bit of the time. But to me, like I welcome that challenge. And like I said in the beginning, I would certainly welcome the opportunity to go back in a, in a heartbeat. I would have zero issue with going back um, as much as I love my role. But there's just, no, there's just nothing like this. You really get to impact all the classrooms in a school and all the kids in a school. Um, it just gives you a totally unique, pers unique perspective. So I think anybody that has that opportunity – I mean, if learn from anything for me, it's that like, go for it. Don't be afraid to try something else. And goodness knows in education, there's not going to be a shortage of teaching roles. So if you try something and you don't like it, I'm, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to have a spot somewhere. So definitely just, just go for it. I, I have not met other than the, like maybe the one person that was in my role and then went back. I have not met any coaches who have gone into the role and just hated it. It's hard at first, but um, because you're working with adults and not kids and you have to take time to build those relationships. And this, some of the coaches that I've seen struggle the most are the ones that didn't really do that as much in the beginning. And then now they're like, well, what do I do? I don't have teachers reaching out to me. You know, you, you can't just jump in and pop into classrooms like it doesn't work that way. Um, but I would say go for it. So, yeah, I mean, I miss teaching, but I'm still I'm teaching. I consider myself a teacher. I think any of my colleagues would say that, I, you know, say that I'm a teacher and a teacher at heart. And I know it's kind of a long answer, but 
I I agree. And very simply, like you like you put it, we're still in the classrooms. Uh, I I'm still teaching. I'm interacting with students. I'm leading lessons or or co-facilitating with teachers, and and it's a it's a interesting dynamic because sometimes I'm there directly to teach the students. Sometimes I'm there to facilitate an activity, but I'm really doing it for the benefit of the teacher so that they can see something. And it's, it's no day is the same, like you said. So you need to be very organized to be able to handle that. But at the end of the day, I could just, I I could just go to my administration and say, you know, plan on me being back in the classroom in two years, if that's what I want, you know, I, or I could say next year, like it's, it's, and when I said that to a teacher before, they're like, wait, really, you can do that? I said, it's no different than you teaching sixth grade at, at South middle school. And there's a opening at seventh grade at central and you apply for that. And you say, I'd like to move to that position. They have to, they have to entertain that idea, you know, because we're on a teacher contract. So nothing, nothing in that sense has changed. So the way I look at it is it's not a permanent decision by any fact. And, and just like you've proven, even if I decide to go the administrative route, which I'm certified to do, I could do that. I could love it. I could hate it. I could have both feelings and then say after one year, three years, five years, you know what? I really want to go back and teach. And and Matt forced me to answer this question on one of our podcasts. I forget what show. I will go back to the classroom at some point. I've learned way too much in this position not to go back and to to be Mr. Ehrman again. I'm still Mr. Ehrman, but you know, to, to have Mr. Ehrman's class, like I know I will do that before I retire. And I don't care if I've been a coach, been a principal, been an assistant principal. I don't care what my positions are. I will eventually do that because that is something that I'm super passionate about. And I, at times I do feel like I, I didn't do it long enough, uh, but I also feel as though I moved into this role at the right time. And so at the end of the day, I, I'll just go back. I'll just go back if I really want to. And I, and I'm totally fine with that. So I want to jump into our exit ticket, which is the same four questions we ask every guest every week. Uh, Matt, you said, are, are you done with your questions? I know. You I said just, you have two more, but then you split your last one into I two know, parts. So I know we're all done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is, this is a hard conversation to cut off. All right. So question number one, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Um, just be a human being and show that you care. I don't know if I need to elaborate on that anymore, but we're all humans. We all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. Um, but as a teacher, you absolutely have to truly love and care about kids and want the best for them. It cannot just be a job for you. I'm sorry. It just can't. If it is, then you're not in the right profession. Absolutely. So when you think about it, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? And it may have come from a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student. Oh, I would say, and I think this applies to any role, but presume positive intentions. I, you know, in this role, you you see a lot, it can get frustrating at times because you see what the issue is and you don't, you know how it needs to fix, but you're not necessarily in the position to fix it. Um, or even in the classroom as a teacher, presuming positive intentions with students or with parents. I, The best piece of advice in education to me is just always presume positive 
intentions. There's always a reason behind the question or the action. Um, and most times it it is positive. You know, you have an angry parent. Well, they care about their kid, you know? So that's the intention. It doesn't make it okay for them to yell at you, you know, but you have to think about what their, in, what their intention was. So I don't know. That's always stuck with me is presuming positive intentions, especially in my role as a coach working with teachers. So this will go along well with the next question. But we all know that the school year goes in waves and there are days and and possibly weeks that we struggle to survive. What is something you feel like, in addition to what you just shared, every educator needs to hear to power up through those moments of struggle? um, I mean, I think it's so cliche, but like we we are impacting our, our, our future world. I mean, every little thing we do has the ability to possibly make a big impact on kids. And in 20 years of teaching, you know, I've, I've seen that, you know, I'm sure we all have stories about kids that come back and, and share things with us. I mean, I can't tell you the number of kids that I've taught, which I feel really old, (laughs) really old now, but that are teachers, you know, that I've made, then they've come back and said it was because of you that I'm a teacher. And, and it's, it's all sorts of things. I mean, not, not that a teacher has to curate like future teachers, but like, just always keeping in mind that no matter how hard it is, like it truly is our future. And I know that's probably a very typical answer, but it's, to me, there's nothing, there's nothing more important than keeping that in mind. So it's easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. What is it that you think separates teachers who are the ones constantly seeking to change, innovate, and adopt new teaching strategies? Well, I mean, I think it goes back to professional learning. You have to have that growth mindset. You have to be willing to learn. You have to know that you don't have all the answers. And I think that really, really strong teachers, the most effective teachers are the ones that know that and are the ones who seek out their own professional learning. And yes, as you know, districts should be providing high quality professional learning for educators, but as we know, that's really not the reality and it probably never will be. And so while we'd love for that to happen, I think the best teachers understand that and seek out the learning on their own. It doesn't mean, I'm not saying we need to be going, doing all these things on our, on our own time necessarily, because we know our time is limited and we don't nearly get paid anywhere, you know, enough. I think about, gosh, teaching 20 years and what I make, it's just laughable. Like I could be doing so many other things, but again, it's about the kids. So, um, but I think those, the best teachers really realize and understand that and, and know that in order for their kids to grow, they, they need to grow and they need to be willing to grow. They may not like it and it might be hard initially, but they have to be they have to be willing to know that that's the path they need to go down if they want to see positive change. So the last uh, easy question is, how can our audience continue this conversation with you going in the future? Well, I would love to continue the conversation with the audience because and I don't know why I didn't mention this in the very beginning, although I've brought it up several times throughout, but I do have my own podcast as well. It's I'm new. I'm a newbie. I'm only like 15 or 16 episodes in. Okay. But I saw a void um, in the past couple of years. I'm a big podcast listener. And as someone who has an intense passion for professional learning, I sought out, you know, podcasts that specifically talked about just professional learning. There's lots of things that we could talk about in education. 
Um, but I was looking for something where I could gain ideas about professional learning. And I, I could not find one. And I listened to a lot of educational podcasts. So I said, I'm just going to dive in and I'm going to start my own. So you can connect with me by listening to my podcast. It is called The PL Playbook. Uh, I would love to invite any listeners on as guests to talk about not only what works, but what doesn't work in professional learning and just share their journey um, and how they feel they can be better impacted in professional learning as teachers and what schools and districts can do to make professional learning experiences better for them. And I, I'm, my, my real hope with the podcast is to get the word out about how critical professional learning is, because I truly do believe that it is one pathway to sustaining our profession. We have to have quality learning for our teachers if we really want to move education forward. Um, so that's one way. The other way is I am very active on Twitter. So they can find me at, or you can find me at litcoachjackiew. So those are two easy ways, easy ways to connect. And I don't know if any of the listeners will be at the PNC conference in a few weeks at Kalahari, but I will be there. I'm actually presenting a session titled the, the PL Playbook. It's not about my podcast, but it's about the key practices that stick with professional learning. So hopefully I can connect with some, some listeners there because it's a pretty big conference. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. We will link to your Twitter handle as well as your podcast um, in the show description that you see below or you're listening to below, as well as our show notes page, which can be found on our website, poweredup.com. Uh, it's, a, <clears throat> it's a great podcast. I've tuned into many episodes um, especially since I, since you had me on, I've, I've gone back and listened to some from before I was on and, and, a, and a couple after. So it's, it's a, it's a great podcast. And like you said, it's exactly focused on, on what you're describing, which, which I appreciate is, is as a person that listens to a lot of podcasts, it's nice to have something where, you know, you're getting exactly out of it what you're, what you're looking to get out of it. So well, I definitely encourage everybody to, to check that out. So thank Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. I, I love this conversation. It was it was nice for me to learn more about you because the last time we talked on your show, I felt like it was more about me, um, <laughs> which is the the typical format when when you're the guest. So I I really enjoyed your your passion, your insight, and you are clearly making every effort to make a positive impact on on teaching and learning in your district. So your district is very lucky to to have you and to have stolen you back after you. <laughs> left them for for just a just a short period of time so thanks so much for yes. joining us yes and thank matt you wanted... matt thank you ken i appreciate the chat absolutely absolutely so as we powered down this episode we uh we are sure you left us feeling powered up so thank you jackie and we'll talk to you all next week Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators who are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.